This is the Sunday morning message broadcast from Church of God Holiness in El Dorado Springs. Open your Bibles, please, to the book of Acts, chapter 17, and we begin a new sermon series, as, I, uh, as we announced last week. It's entitled, Restart. Now, this is not just a topic that I thought would be a cool topic. Um, in fact, as I think of it, it's probably not a cool topic at all. But it was born out of two concerns. Here they are. One, I'm afraid that many people have adopted a form of Christianity but have never truly experienced regeneration or salvation. Secondly, I fear that for the people that have experienced salvation, maybe some and certainly not all, but some perhaps have allowed that relationship to become lukewarm or mechanical. So over the next few weeks, we're going to talk about this, and Jim's already used this phrase, so I'll use it again, but if the shoe fits, wear it. And probably the truth is that we will find that the slipper is going to fit all of us in some aspects. So let's just uh, allow God to really do a work. Let's, Let's bow our heads and pray one more time. Father, I really, really feel the need for your help today. Um. God, I believe you've led me to this topic. It's not really what I had in mind, but I, uh, I've just sensed this quickening in my spirit that this is where you wanted us to go, and I don't want to go alone. And so I pray that you would go with us, and uh, Lord, that you would just not let there be any unnecessary distractions that would hinder the Holy Spirit from working And Lord, where I don't do a very good job, I pray that you would kind of fill in the gaps and Lord, that we would get what we need to get out of this lesson as well as the future lessons in this series. I pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Everything in life must have a starting point. You know, for example, romance has a starting point. Uh, Some of you can remember the first time you fell in love and you were about seven And you fell in love with a 22-year-old college girl or college guy. And in fact, right now in this church, I've been hearing about a seven-year-old boy that has a crush on a 54-year-old lady. (laughs) Happens to be my wife. And I don't know if he thinks that she's got a lot of money or something. I don't know what's going on here. But um, romance has a starting point. You didn't come out of your mother's womb with a romantic love for the person that you would eventually fall in love with. There was a starting point. Your marriage also had a starting point. Um, You know, I've recently officiated a couple of weddings here in the last three or four weeks. And when those couples repeated their vows and I pronounced them husband and wife and the two witnesses signed that marriage license, that was the starting point in their marriage. It didn't matter if the couples had been Living together, it didn't matter if they had been calling each other, you know, babe or hun or cutie or, or daisy or sugar bear or twinkle pants or, or whatever. You know, before the state of Missouri, there has to be a legal starting point in, in marriage. Parenting also has a starting point. You're not a parent until you have kids. Plain and simple. You can have kids through childbearing. You can have kids through adoption. But you've got to have kids to be a parent. Plain and simple. You understand that. Everything has a starting point. But sometimes I think that we forget that 
our faith, or, or let, let me be a little bit more, uh, more direct. Sometimes we forget that our personal relationship with Jesus Christ must also have a starting point. Contrary to what many would believe here in this part of our country, our spiritual birth does not automatically begin with our physical birth. Our, our spiritual birth does not just be, begin because we're American citizens that live in the Bible belt of our country. Our, our spiritual birth does not come about just because we grew up in a Christian home. Our faith, our walk with God, our relationship with Jesus Christ must have a starting point. Now, I, I do believe that many of us here, since we live in, in a very religious part of our country, I believe that many of us have had that starting point. For probably the majority of us, our faith journey began as a child. Just, just for curiosity's sake, how many of you, your faith journey began as a child? Just, just raise your hand. Yeah, that, that's, that's the majority of us, uh, of us here. You know, maybe it happened, uh, after a conversation with a parent or after something we heard in church, at a church camp, vacation Bible school. At that moment, something clicked. We were convicted of our sins. We asked Jesus to come into our heart. Our faith journey began. Well, then after we began following Jesus as children, we began to develop a framework for our faith. And we learned concepts such as Satan is bad. God is good. In fact, many of you probably said a little prayer before meals that went something like this. God is great. God is good. You, you, you remember that? Could we just say that together on the count of three for old time's sake? One, two, three. God is great. God is good. Let us thank him for our food. Amen. Serve the food, ushers. <laughs> well, then as we continue to build the framework for our faith, somebody told us, well, God punishes evil and rewards good. So we were told to be good boys and good girls. And then we began to learn about prayer. And into the framework of, of our faith was built that little statement, God answers prayer. Any amens here? And then depending on our church tradition, many of us were also told, well, not only does God answer prayer, but he also speaks to us. And, and we would hear those older saints get up and testify and say, well, God told me not to do this or, or God told me to do this. Little by little, a foundation was built for our faith in Jesus. But what happened in so many cases, and, and again, certainly not in all, but when we got older, many times that simple faith that we had as children began to take a hit. We began to find it hard to, to, to reconcile things such as why do bad things happen to good people or why do good things happen to bad people. And, and that simple faith of, well, just pray and God will answer you or, or just pray and God will speak to you. We found out that that did not always work in the literal sense like we had come to believe as children. And so what took place in many instances is that our childhood faith that, that started off so fresh and so, so pure, so genuine that the pressures of life and the pressures of a cruel world and, and the pressures of maybe an agnostic teacher or professor and, and the pressures of a religiously diverse society began to chip away at it. And some of us found ourselves at a crossroad, not knowing what to believe. We wanted to hold on to the faith of our childhood. We wanted to hold on to the faith of our parents, but, but we no longer felt that it was completely relevant in our world today. 
And the result is that many good people, and, and they didn't necessarily throw away their faith, they didn't necessarily become agnostics or, or atheists, but, but they just kind of backed off and, and became a bit distant and, and even a bit skeptical. And, and even though many of them continued to go to church at least part of the time, yet their faith evolved into more of a tradition. It wasn't alive anymore. That, that vibrancy, that vibrant reality was no longer there. Someone made this powerful statement. Many of us have been left stranded. If you want to advance just a little bit more on those, on those slides there, kind of get caught up. Someone made this powerful statement. Many of us have been left stranded with an incoherent concept of God. We learned about God about the same time we learned about Santa Claus. But here's the key part I want you to pay attention. But while our understanding of Santa Claus evolved and matured, our theology of God remained somewhat infantile. And so we grew up and and attained physical maturity. and, And also, in a sense, we grew up and attained intellectual maturity. Yet many people never made the effort to see their faith grow up. And and they went to church some and they read their Bible some and they prayed some, but they never grew up spiritually. And as a result, they developed a distorted view of Christianity. And many of them even found themselves with a bit of a disconnect towards God. So over the next few weeks, uh, with God's help and with your prayers, because I, I, I covet your prayers Here's what I believe some of us will discover. I believe that some of us will discover that when it comes to our relationship with Jesus, we need to start. We've never had that start in our walk with God. We need to start. But then there may be others of us that realize that we need a restart. Because our walk with God has grown stale and distant and mechanical. Okay, as we begin, the first thing we want to do is go back to the starting point or the foundation of our faith. And I think a lot of people today would say, well, the Bible is that starting point. In fact, I was at our annual denominational convention this past week and and a prominent pastor said exactly that. He said, the Bible is the foundation of our faith. And it makes sense. I, I mean, the Bible is God's holy word. It's, it's, it's inerrant. And, and as pastors used to say, you know, it's, it's inspired all the way from Genesis clear through to the maps at the end of the Bible. Well, I do believe the Bible is inspired, probably not the maps. But I do believe that all scripture is God breathed. I believe it's inerrant. I believe it's light and life. And it's a guide that will lead us to eternal life. But, but I don't believe that the Bible can be the starting point. Now, don't dismiss me as one of those theological liberals. And, and we talked about this a few months ago, but, but that, the, the phrase that we say the Bible says or the Bible teaches was not the starting point when Christianity began. The, the New Testament, where we get the majority of information about Jesus and, and, and information about the church, it wasn't put together for around 250 to 300 years after the church was founded. 
Yes, there were letters that Paul wrote that were circulated around. But, but for at least 250 years, there were hundreds of, and thousands, maybe even millions of people who became followers of Jesus, not because the Bible was the starting point of their faith. There was no Bible. Yes, some of the Old Testament scriptures existed in the forms of scrolls and parchments. But there was no Bible as we know it today. Christians gathered in churches and, and the leaders couldn't say, well, open your Bibles. This is the starting point of our faith. So, as we look at those old early Christians, the question is this. How did they come to faith in Christ? What was their starting point? And the reason we need to discover this is because the starting point for the early church really needs to be the starting point for our church and for every church. So to find that starting point, here's what we're going to do. We're going to listen in on a conversation that took place about 20 years after Christ lived here on earth. And this conversation is, is between the Apostle Paul and a group of people that knew nothing about Jesus. So understand that, that Paul was not talking with church people here. These are far from church people. They have no clue what it means to follow Jesus. Now, now the conversation that we will refer to comes from a portion of Scripture that, again, we call the book of Acts. There was a man named Luke who happened to be a doctor and he traveled with the Apostle Paul. He was a meticulous note taker. He documented many events that took place as Paul moved around the Mediterranean rim starting churches. But one afternoon, Paul finds himself in Athens, Greece. And, and, and this is the same Athens, Greece that's in existence today. But as Paul is walking around the city, strolling around, he sees something that disturbs him greatly. And as a result, Paul begins a conversation. And, and, and this conversation, a conversation is recorded for us in this journal that Luke wrote that again, we would call the book of Acts, and, and two to three hundred years later, it would become part of the New Testament. Here's Paul's conversation in Athens. Then in a few moments will lead us to the very starting point of the Christian faith. Acts chapter 17. You've got your Bibles open. Beginning our reading with verse 16. While Paul was waiting for them in Athens... Waiting for whom? Well, a few verses earlier, we see that he was waiting for a couple of his friends named Silas and Timothy. He was greatly distressed to see that the city was full of idols. So he reasoned in the synagogue with the Jews and the God-fearing Greeks, as, as well as in the marketplace day by day with those who happened to be there. Now, in Athens, because uh, it was full of philosophers, engaging people in conversation about religion was not awkward. They love to discuss and debate philosophy and religion. Verse 18. A group of Epicurean and Stoic philosophers began to dispute with him. With him. Now, the Epicureans, they, they believed this. They, they said, hey, there's no way we can figure out life. You know, so who cares? Just, just chill, just veg. Have an extra glass of wine. Eat, drink, and be merry. Just enjoy life. It's okay. Now, the Stoics were different because they said, hey, if you give us enough time, we can figure out life. 
You know, we're going to dot all of the I's. We're going to cross all of the T's. And, and we're going to figure this thing out. We're going to make sense of it. And, and so Paul has engaged with these two different group of philosophers, the Epicureans and the Stoics, at a deep level about religion and philosophy. Well, some of them asked, what is this babbler trying to say? Now, why did they call Paul a babbler? Well, because as far as they were concerned, he was just babbling. They had never heard this new religion before. It was babbling. Well, jumping into verse 18, others remarked he seems to be advocating foreign gods. Now, now pay attention to this because there were already many, many gods in Athens. And, and I researched this out and, and, and one of the ancient writers there said that, th- that there were about 30,000 gods in Athens. In fact, you know, as they've excavated around there, many of the statues of, of, of those uh, idols have actually survived. And because of the massive number of gods, the, the city council in Athens decided that if you're going to introduce a new god, a new religion, you've got to get permission. Because evidently what had happened in the past, somebody had come up with a new religion and, and, and it split the city. A civil war began, divided families, there was bloodshed, violence, and it just got really ugly. And so they had decided that if you're going to introduce a new religion, you've got to get permission. They said this because Paul was preaching the good news about Jesus and the resurrection. Now, did you notice that when Paul was speaking, he was not saying, well, the Bible says this. He was not saying the word of God says this. Why? Because there was no Bible. Verse 19. Then they took him and brought him to a meeting of the Areopagus where they said to him, may we know what this new teaching is that you're presenting? Now, the Areopagus was kind of the hub. It is where they had civil trials and, and the city council would convene when they were deliberating, you know, important decisions. So they took the Apostle Paul to this very spot to decide whether or not they were going to allow him to spread this brand new idea that no one in Athens had heard about before. Story continues, verse 20. You're bringing some strange ideas to our ears. We want to know what they mean. So remember, these are people that had no church background and there was no Bible to refer to. Verse 22, Paul then stood up in the meeting of the Areopagus and said, men of Athens, I see that in every way you are very religious. For as I walked around and looked carefully at your objects of worship, I found an altar with this inscription to an unknown God. Now, what you worship as something unknown I'm going to try to proclaim to you. I'm going to proclaim to you. Now, picture in your mind this city that had altars everywhere to a bunch of different gods, possibly up to 30,000 different idols, gods. But because it's just in case they happened to miss a god, they had built an altar to that one god that they had possibly missed, and they called it the altar to the unknown god, just in case. You know, even with all of their gods, just in case they had missed one, they built an altar to the unknown God. Now, I really think uh, many people here in this part of the country are the same way. That's why some people who don't go to church at any other time will still go to church on Christmas and Easter just in case. That's why some people who have little time for Jesus will still wear a cross around their neck or or get a tattoo of a cross on their arm just in case. 
That's why many people who are far from God and maybe are even into the drug scene and a lot of other stuff, they will still say a little prayer before they go to bed, just in case. And the people of Athens had, had built an altar to the unknown God just in case. So, so Paul says, hey, you're very religious. And I commend you for wanting to make sure that you cover your bases when it comes to worshiping God. But, but he said it's obvious in your mind that, that you're still wondering if there's something more. And, and no, obviously you don't know what it is at this point. But just in case you built this altar to the unknown God. Well, then Paul says this, and this is so cool. He says, now what you worship is something unknown I'm going to proclaim to you. <laughs> In other words, why don't you step on over here to the altar of the unknown, of the unknown God? And you, you call it the unknown God, but I'm about to take the un off of the unknown, and I'm going to make it known to you. And he says in verse 24, the God... The God who made the world. Did you notice? The one God. Not the pantheon, pantheon of gods. In fact, in, in Rome, and some of you might have seen that when we took our other group to Israel, we actually passed through Rome and we, we saw the pantheon. But th- this was a, uh, a temple which was for the many, many different Greek gods. But Paul said, the one God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth and, and does not live in temples built by hands. And And he's not served by human hands. So this God that you call unknown is way bigger than the rest of your gods put together. In fact, he's so big that you could never, ever build a temple big enough for him. And if you could build a big enough temple for him, he certainly couldn't fit on your little itty bitty altars. And Paul says this God is not served by human hands. And and, and this is in, in reference... This is cool. In reference to the fact that they would serve their gods food. And I've seen this in other countries. They take food out to the image of their God. And so Paul was saying, you know, you can serve your gods and, you know, set a Coke out there. And you can put some potato chips and maybe a little bit of chocolate out there. And maybe put some gold or silver that the priest would steal off the altar after dark. But Paul said it. As for the unknown God, he doesn't need any of that. Because this God sustains the entire universe. He's not served by human hands. He doesn't need your food. Verse 25, as if he needed anything, because he himself gives all men life and breath and everything else. Everything else. Well, then Paul kind of steps it up a notch. And he's inching us closer to the starting point for our faith relationship with God. Verse 26, from one man, tune in, from one man, he made every nation of men that they should inhabit the whole earth. And he determined the time set for them and the exact places where they should live. In other words, you know, this God that you call unknown, he's not just a, uh, uh, you know, he, he's a sovereign God. That's not just an Egyptian God. He's not just a Persian God. He's not just a Judean God, but he is God over all creation. Furthermore, this is the God who decided when each nation would be born and when it would die. And he, the one who decided where it would be located on the globe. That's what it says. Verse 27, God did this so that men would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him. And and let me tell you about this little word, reach. 
this this is such a cool word. I know I keep saying cool, but I don't know how else to describe it. Um, this uh, th- this word reach means to kind of grope around in the darkness. You know, you walk into a, a, a dark, dark room. It's pitch black, and you know there's a light switch, so you're kind of slapping the wall and bumping it and moving around, groping around, trying to find that, that, that light switch. And, and so Paul is saying, you know, you have all of these idols... You're groping around, trying to find the light, trying to find the right God. And he goes on and says, though he's not far from each of us. (laughs) He's not far from each one of us. For in him we live and move and have our being. As some of your own poets have said, we are his offspring. Now, in this last verse, Paul does something, can I just say it, so cool and smart? He quotes not from the New Testament, because there was no New Testament at that point. He doesn't even quote from the Old Testament, because frankly, these are Greeks, and they don't give a rip about the Old Testament. Rather, Paul, and, and Paul was shrewd, and he says, hey, you're not far from the truth. And he quotes from their own poets, where they said, we're God's offspring, which probably had to impress the people that Paul knew that. Verse 29, Therefore, since we are God's offspring, we should not think that the divine being is like gold or silver or stone, an image made by man's design and skill. And and, and Paul is kindly but basically jabbing them a little bit. He's saying, come on, you guys are smart. You know that you can't make an image out of gold or silver that reflects a true God. You guys know that. Verse 30. We're getting closer. In the past, God overlooked such ignorance. You know, because people didn't have a lot of spiritual understanding back then. In the past, God was able to overlook some of their actions. But Paul says this is a new day and age. And, and, and he says in the past, overlook such ignorance. But now he commands all people everywhere to repent. Catch that? He commands all people everywhere to repent. For he has set a day when he will judge the world with justice by the man he has appointed. He's given proof of this to all men by raising him from the dead. In other words, Paul is saying, now, yeah, in the past, God overlooked some of the ignorance. But now, there's no excuse. People everywhere need to repent. No exceptions. Because there will be a judgment. Paul is about to get to the starting point. You know, as a typical preacher, it takes a while for him to get there. But he's built a foundation for these people who know nothing about Jesus. And now he says that God has appointed a man, actually a God-man that is so powerful that he has the ability to rule the world with justice. And, and of course, every religion believes that. They believe that their leader, you know, is all-powerful and, 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 and has the ability to rule the, the, the world. And, and, and Paul goes on and says, but this is not just a set of hollow words. There's proof of this. To which probably all of those around Paul were thinking, oh, Paul, wait a minute, proof? (laughs) You know, when it comes to gods, we we can't be sure. That's why we've got 30,000 gods plus one, you know, to the unknown God. Because, Paul, Paul, you can't be serious when you say we can know for for sure. But Paul says, oh, yes, we have proof. There is proof 
that moves us from hope so to no so. That there's proof that moves us from, oh, we'll just have to wait and see and hope and pray to there is proof. And Paul then gives us the proof, which is the starting point for our faith. He says this God man died an actual death. But then here's the proof. This God man rose from the dead. That's the proof. That's the proof that God is the real deal. He's the true God. He rose from the dead. Now, I wish I could say that when they heard that, that they all fell on their knees and repented and destroyed their idols and everyone lived happily ever after. But you know what happened? What, what happened then is pretty much what happens today. You want to know what happened? Well, you're about to find out. When they heard about the resurrection of the dead, some of them sneered. Sneered. They said, you know what, we may not know a lot of things, but we do know that when people die, they stay dead. So they sneered. But that was not the end of the story. But others said, we want to hear you again on this subject. Would you just jab your neighbor and make sure that he or she's awake right now? That's the way it is today. When I preach or anybody else preaches, there are those who react in a lighthearted way and say, oh, oh boy, pastor, you went off today. You sure stepped on my toes, which is okay. They chuckle, they walk out. And never make any changes in their lives. That's right. But thank God. There are those that the spirit touches. And they may say. Pastor you sure stepped on my toes. But the difference is they go home. And they pray. And they seek God. Which is also what happened. In Athens. Verse 34. Catch this. A few men became followers of Paul and believed. And it names a couple, among them Dionysius, a member of the Areopagus. So he would have been probably part of the city council. Also a woman named Damaris and, and a number of others. So what, what we gather from this, in your dealings with people at work or in your family, there will always be those that will make light of the gospel. They will be skeptical. They will may even laugh. They may call you holier than thou. They may call you holy roller, Bible thumper. You know, Christ experienced plenty of skepticism towards him during his ministry. But thank God. And this is what keeps me in this calling there will also be a few who have a hunger and a thirst after righteousness and they will seek God. There will be a few like Gene and Peg and Dean and Pat, Lauren and Steph. Be a few that 
Say, you know what? I'm empty and I need God. And they turn to God. So we circle back to the question that kicked off our, our study. What's the starting point of our faith? Well, it's the same starting point that Paul gave the Athenians. The starting point is Jesus. Jesus resurrected from the dead. Please understand that the starting point of our faith is not just saying a little prayer every day. The starting point of, for the Christian faith is not finding answers to a bunch of difficult questions such as, you know, did Noah really put all those animals in the ark? Or, or did the rain actually cover the entire earth? And, and, and I've heard this theory that supposedly there's only enough water in earth's atmosphere to cover the entire earth by two inches. And so there are some skeptics that say, well, how did all of those people drown in two inches of water? You know, the starting point is not even questions such as were the days of creation 24-hour days or were they longer periods of time? And there's nothing wrong with having those discussions, but don't get lost in all that stuff. That's why when you email me and you want to debate how many angels can dance on the head of a pin or... (laughs) Or you want to know how in Genesis chapter 6 verse 2, the sons of God took the daughters of men for their wives... Sorry, when you email me, I don't mean to be rude, but you're not going to get very much of my time. And if you love discussing those things, that's okay. Knock yourself out. And if you need any help, just call 1-800-WHO-CARES. You'll find all the answers you need there. And there may be a place for some of those discussions, but don't get lost there. Don't don't let the starting point get blurred out by those debatable issues and questions. When it comes to the starting point of our faith, or, or when it comes to doing a restart of our faith, there's only one place to go back to, and that's to Jesus. The author and the finisher of our faith. Close your Bibles. I want to tell you a story. Story time in the Church of God Holiness, and then we're going to go to Sunday school. But you know that uh, my daughter Erica and husband Gabe and my wonderful granddaughter, Claire, they uh, are serving in Albania, which is part of Europe. And um, as I was studying this, this lesson, it just came alive and just some conversations that I had with, with Erica this past week. But they're working with uh, the Roma people, which are gypsies. They, they migrated from India and uh, they're really people without a country. They're, they're despised. They live in little camps and just the, you know, the, just the living is, is so tough for them. And so they're working with a group of Roma people. First of all, they're, um, there is no written language for their language. So there is no scripture in their language. They're working in a group uh, with a group where, do you know how many believers they have in that group? Zero. Zero. Now, we talked about this just a little bit last Sunday night, and my brother-in-law was talking about how our work in Bolivia is just really exploding, going going great guns. And, and he said, you know, the difference is there was a bridge there. I walked across the bridge, and I told people about Jesus. But when it comes to Gabe and Erica, there is no bridge. they got to build a bridge. And so for the last eight months, they have been trying to build that bridge. And what they have done, they've started in the Old Testament. And uh, they've gone through some of the, the Old Testament stories. And, 
And we were there when they were talking about David and, and, and Goliath, and they were illustrating that, just trying to illustrate two things. One, you know, take, provide the foundation, uh, you know, to get up to Christ. But, but secondly, just provide the foundation that there is a sin problem, that we have a sin problem in humanity that we can't take care of. So two weeks ago, it, this was so cool what they did, and, and they've been leading up, they've been praying and, and, and for the day that they would finally present Jesus, because they've just been presenting these Old Testament stories leading up to it. Two weeks ago, Jesus arrived at the Roma camp. And what they did, just to illustrate this, because it's all, they're, they're visual society, and, and so what they did, they, they had these two big, bottles of uh, of soap this foam stuff and so they they took them outside and they put this foam soap everywhere on them and and they just plastered it everywhere and and they emptied out the bottles and and so they knew that they had a party going on inside and they said you know we're going to have a party after this and so they, they they said okay here's what uh in order to get back into the party here's what you got to do because they had cakes and cake and balloon and all the all the stuff, you know, the things that you blow, those annoying things. And and they said, here's what you've got to do. You've got to take all that soap and get it back into the bottles. Every bit of it. We're saying, that's not fair. <laughs> you've promised us something that we can't do. Well, they said, I'm, I'm sorry, that's what you've got to do. We've got a party inside, got cake and all that good stuff in there, sandwiches and... But you got to get all of the stuff in there. And they said, we can't do that. And they said, you're exactly right. You can't do that. That's impossible. But that's when they told about Jesus. And they said, what Jesus did is impossible, but he did it. And they began to present the story of Jesus Christ. What he did for them. And then after that, I don't have time to go into it. It's just cool. And... And I wish I could say, oh, that the people repented right there. They didn't. But now they've gotten the foundation of the starting point of their faith, with it, which is Jesus Christ. And so, this morning, maybe there are some people here. I know I've gone a long time, super long time. And, but there may be some people here this morning that you need a start. Maybe you thought that your physical birth equated, was the same thing as your spiritual birth, but it's not. And you need to start. And... You know, you don't just kind of grow into it. There has to be a start. And there may be some people here that you need a start. But there may be some people here that need a restart. You know what it is to have had that relationship with Jesus Christ. But just like I talked about, the pressures of life have caused you maybe to back off, become distant. And we're going to be dealing with this for several weeks. I'm not sure how long, but don't ever forget the main starting point. So I want you just to bow your heads. And maybe there are some people here this morning that would just say, I need a start. I've never had that start. I, I kind of thought I did, but I realize now I have never had that moment, that starting point where I accepted Jesus. And But there, I believe, will probably be some people that need a restart that have kind of backed off. It's become mechanical. Your religion right now is just religion, and it's just a tradition. Your Christianity is a tradition. Here's what I want you to do as I pray. Would you just make that start? Confess Jesus. 
You say, what's involved in a start? Just ask forgiveness of your sins. Invite him into your life. And, and you say, well, I need a restart. I, I, I've become distant. What do, you, what do you do? Well, you come back to Jesus. That's the starting point. It's not a whole bunch of hoops you have to jump through. Just come back to Jesus. Come back to Jesus. Come back to Jesus. That's the restart. Would you do that while I pray? You've been listening to the Sunday morning message broadcast from Church of God Holiness in El Dorado Springs. Our messages are archived at www.eldochurch.com or to order compact discs or DVD videos of the messages, call the church at 417-876-2200. Thank you for listening.